Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend, Eric. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my name is Patrick. You can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. My name there is Long Monkey. And uh, such a creepy name. (laughs) So there's a story behind Long Monkey. It was a term in a book I read for human meat. (laughs) Oh, I I thought you were going to say it was a term that you saw in a magazine that your father had hidden under the mattress. No, no, that's that's a completely different animal. Um, So (laughs) Long Monkey was human meat. And I always thought it was very funny. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? We're all just long monkeys in general. So. Well, that's a great philosophy to have on life. Yes, exactly. It really keeps you grounded when I think <laughs> yeah. I'm just a long monkey. Yeah. Well, did uh, did you, you, you uh, long monkey, get to watch any movies since last episode? I did, actually. I think this might be the first podcast episode where I watched movies besides oh, cool. what we were assigned, besides our homework. <laughs> right. Um, oh, so the, I'm scoring some extra for... credit because I have two things that I'd like to talk about today. Ooh, okay. I watched Thor Love and Thunder. Okay. Um, did you I, see this one? I have not. So don't give any big spoilers, please. I was not going to give really. I'm going to talk about this with as few spoilers as I can, given what I want to say about it. Okay. Um, I want to first get out of the way that I did like it. I enjoyed it. It's going to sound like I'm panning it, but I think I'm really more talking about Marvel in general and the problems that this movie had are kind of consistent with what a lot of what they're calling phase four has been uh, in where I think that the TV shows are just phenomenal. um, And the movies are kind of, you know, I don't, I'm not sure where Marvel is going and what they're really working towards. And maybe that's not fair. Like they might be a victim of their own success of having this epic 20 plus movie storyline that they just moved through, which probably seems much better in retrospect than some of the individual um, films really merit. Uh, For instance, the first two Thors were terrible and Taika Waititi, in my opinion, saved Thor. Chris Hemsworth was miserable. The first two Mm -hmm. Thors were probably two of, if not the two worst movies in that first kind of run. They were two of like the worst three to five movies. Mm -hmm. Um, the issue here was that this movie kind of felt like a retread to me. Um, okay. No one, none of the Marvel characters have lost more than Thor. I would say uh, you could say Iron Man lost his life, but he didn't really have to deal with any kind of arc of having to deal with the loss of his family or anything. And Thor lost right. his father. Uh, Loki's died multiple times. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the he lost sister his whole, uh, home. <laughs> he, yeah. You could argue his sister was an enemy, but he still like found out he had a sister and then had to kill her, his best friends, Heimdall and the Warriors three. Uh, You said his like Asgard entirely gone, no matter what nonsense you say about Asgard is an idea, not a place. No, it was a place. And he (laughs) lived there for thousands of years. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) He failed to kill Thanos and he held himself responsible for for the Mm -hmm. death of half of the universe in Endgame. These are all pretty serious psychological things that he was dealing with in the last couple movies. That's very true. And this movie, I guess like the... The thing, one of the things in this movie is addressing Thor and his fear to fall in love. 
And that seems like such a hollow thing to deal with in the face of everything else that he has dealt with. Okay. That I, I kind of was like, eh, the stakes were not that high in terms of like the B storyline. The A storyline was great. Christian Bale, first of all, was phenomenal in this movie as Ooh. the big bad. Uh, he plays a character called Gore the God Butcher, which is also a cool name. <laughs> that um, is. Who has a, a cool motive. He hates the gods because they allowed his entire it's implied that it's his entire race specifically his daughter to die um and he was some kind of religious zealot so he turns against the gods and this movie is about him going around killing gods the movie was fertile ground for drama and some serious moments and this hate like i hate to say this because i love taika watiti so much especially for saving thor but he I don't know that he was the right choice for this movie. Oh, the movie, like the parts of it are hilarious and very much very similar. Again, almost a retread of Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi's brand of humor. You know, it's Taika Waititi humor. Yes. Um, kind of like a grown up seven year old, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But there were some. Uh, there was room for some drama and the jokes just wouldn't let it breathe. And you know that he can, which is a shame because a movie like Jojo Rabbit, I don't think there's a bigger gut punch for me in recent memory than this goofy movie about a boy with a fantasy Hitler friend when he sees his mother dead. And, you know, he let that movie breathe. He doesn't do that in Thor Ragnarok. Okay. See, that's interesting because I had the same issue with Jojo Rabbit. I thought that, yeah, the drama stuff was great and the humor stuff was great, but I felt like it didn't mix very well. And that yeah. it it was, the tone was bouncing around too much for my tastes. So I kind yeah. of, uh, if there's more of that in Thor, that doesn't bode well for me liking it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a lot. It's, it's, there's, there's times when it should have, uh, been able to breathe more and and okay. should have lingered instead of throwing in a joke. Um, That's kind of like the Marvel thing, though. It's like, yeah, in the face of like death and destruction and everything dying, there's always time for people to throw jokes back and forth in those movies, and even non the non Taika Waititi ones. Yeah, just, I do agree with that in general, yeah. but I feel like in this it was more glaring, maybe because okay. the sense of humor is Taika Waititi's and it seems mm-hmm. to to not lend itself to. You know, it's different to have a one-liner in the middle of a crisis or a fight mm-hmm. than to, like, have, like, a full-on kind of goofy, slapsticky joke. Uh, you know, okay, okay. that kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. Marvel really needs to stop inserting things into their Phase 4 movies that kind of, like, break the dramatic arc of Endgames or make you question, yeah. like, why any of the Thanos stuff happened, which they do in this movie again. They did it in Eternals, where it's like, well, why weren't these guys doing anything? And the oh, reason they gave yeah. it Eternals made no sense. Agreed, in this movie, yeah. they they introduced the concept of a cosmic genie who will grant any wish if you mm-hmm. get to them and nobody's been able to get to them yet. And Thor knows this existed. And you're like, that would have been a whole lot easier than inventing time travel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So they're kind of like adding things that in hindsight... Uh would have changed the original movies. Right. And it's so easy to fix. Somebody could have been like, why didn't you, why didn't you do this for Thanos? And he could have been like, well, we didn't think it really existed or something. Right. Right. But it's, it's like, oh yeah, we know about that thing. All of the gods know about this thing or whatever. (laughs) 
yeah, nobody's been able to reach it. Like there was no line in there. So they, they okay. do need to like keep a tighter rein on thinking about how these new stories can impact the older stuff and make some of it make not any sense. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, what number is this? Is I think 28 or 29th movie? 29, I want to say. Yeah. That's just like a beast of a of a story to 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 wrangle together. It is, but like there are definitely ways where you know we just said something that right. would have fixed that in in two seconds. That's not addressed oh. at all. Yeah, Marvel, come I hire us. Give us a call. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be your script doctors. We're yes. we're, we're available, Kevin Feige. <laughs> yes. Um, the other movie I watched. Uh, I have a friend who has managed to never see any movies. It's like, Oh, I've heard of this friend. Yes. They grew up in, even though they were born in 1987. So not that much younger than us have managed to never see a lot of things. And by request, we watched Armageddon from 1998. Okay. Um, I haven't seen this. Yeah, go ahead. They would have been what? 12 years old. That's perfect for Armageddon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in probably 15 or so years. I think, I'm pretty sure the last time I watched it was actually with you. Oh, wow. And that was I remember <laughs> you promised to let me form a wedding band and sing the famous Aerosmith <laughs> song, Don't Want to Miss a Thing, for oh, your wedding. God. And as we know, you got married last year, and that didn't happen. And I'm really salty about it. I I am so sorry, Eric. I you should completely be, forgot. That would have been I, phenomenal. I knew that we've always talked about you being in the wedding band. I completely forgot about that song and a promise. <laughs> oh, man. I, okay, I'll well. get over it at some point, but I guess we can talk about the movie a little bit. This movie gets a bad rap, and it is deserved, but I spent the first like half to two-thirds of this movie not really knowing why because it's imminently entertaining and i was really impressed like during that whole team building stuff it's about this group of misfit oil miners going into space to drill through and drop a nuke inside i mean it sounds ridiculous inside uh an asteroid that i think they say is the size of texas which mm -hmm. is a planet killer and it is a thing that could theoretically happen i don't know about an asteroid the size of texas but right. you know neither here nor there then they get to space and that's when everything just becomes so over the top. It's too much. I'm not even mad at like the science, which is awful. And if you read their interviews, they knew about it and they just thought nobody in the audience would notice it, which I guess is an issue, but not a huge deal in this kind of like disaster movie. Mm -hmm. But it just drones on and on and on with tragedy after tragedy, almost like gravity, but like a dumb version of gravity. <laughs> Okay. And it's not even like exciting stuff. It's people losing their minds in space. And, you know, there are so many guns in space. And I don't know why they would have a gun, let alone like mini guns on these little armadillo things that, you know, Steve Buscemi at one point just starts shooting them off. And there mm -hmm. are so many scenes. I feel like if you cut this movie, you could cut out a good 45 minutes to an hour of this movie because it is two and a half freaking hours long, which I did wow. not remember. I remembered mm -hmm. it being on the long side, but not that long. Right. You would have like a really solid, really fun movie. Mm -hmm. But if you read the, the IMDb trivia page, uh, you, you can actually read some of these people saying, well, we put this scene in the movie to appeal to this demographic. And you know, the one I specifically remember, there was one, I forget what scene, maybe the, 
singing the song and leaving on a jet plane before they leave where they're like, we thought that would appeal to the female audience. And there was the scene with the armadillo is like their little um, off-roader that they have to drive around because the two different crews get separated. And then Ben Affleck's character has to kind of get to the other team to save the day. And there's a scene where they jump across, you know, they call it the Grand Canyon in space. And they're like, we thought teenage boys would like this scene. And it really feels like that as you're watching it, like these disparate scenes. And you're like, why is this in the movie? Mm -hmm. Because we were trying to appeal to so many different audiences. Instead of just telling an entertaining story, they felt like they had to make this. And I'm wondering how much, because Deep Impact came out two months i think before this one if i remember right deep impact was like may and this one was june or july Mm -hmm. so it was like a very similar concept of asteroids crashing into earth and how do we stop it or what are we going to do about it right i wonder how much that impacted armageddon and it's just like i said half of it's really fun and then it just gets like a chore to sit through this thing oh wow so well it it worked i guess armageddon was a hit and everyone seems to nostalgically love it in a way um well michael bay has gotten like a reevaluation in the past like year or two i don't know if you've been on film twitter listening to what people talk about but uh people are like kind of rediscovering michael bay and and considering him like you know a decent auteur kind of director he definitely has a vision he definitely has some you know craft and skill behind Mm -hmm. what he's trying to do but he also has like a really juvenile sense of humor (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't know if Armageddon is one that has gotten as much praise as some of his other movies that have been rewatched. Yeah, Bruckheimer Bay really kind of ruled that 90s action scene for a little while with uh, The Rock, Armageddon. I feel yeah. like there were other things that they worked together on very successfully during that mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, I don't they know if do Bad Boys together. was Bruckheimer. Not Conair. That was that was someone else that directed. But it was Conair. a Bruckheimer movie. I think Bruckheimer yeah. made a bunch of those kind of movies. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was that age, I loved every one of them. So. Yeah, I definitely loved The Rock. I'm gonna go back and watch it. I don't know if I'll regret it, but it's mm-hmm. got to be good. It's got the cage in it. Yeah, yeah. Got the cage unleashed. Can't, Winners can't go home that. and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yep. So, uh, yeah, well, you have to continue your Michael Bay rediscovery. Let me know. Let me know what you learn. Have you seen um, the new one, Ambulance? No, I haven't seen the new one yet. I haven't, but I've heard great things. I really want to see it. Really? Just, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I heard that his drone work in that movie is incredible. Just the way he uses drones to film these action scenes. And that the. I believe it. That the story is just tight, nonstop action with Jake Gyllenhaal at its it's the center i mean it sounds great love me some gyllenhaal so i'll check it out yeah yeah all right we'll report back eventually with that one maybe who knows <laughs> all right well let's 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 go a, a little more highbrow i, was, I wasn't going to talk about this yeah. one but i figured we should go from michael bay's armageddon to 1932's vampire directed by carl theodore dreyer what a segue. <laughs> I know. No, I wasn't going to talk about this one because there's a lot of, it's considered one of the greatest movies ever. And there's a lot of, you know, literature about it. I'm just going to say that it's in German. It's an early talkie. So the, the it's dubbed black and white, weird imagery, lots of shadows. 
very well executed. And what struck me about it was how it felt like David Lynch. Like, I feel like David Lynch watched Vampire. It was inspired to make, you know, all his weird movies. Because it has that kind of like, the the German dubbing sounds like people talking backwards, <laughs> you know, huh. in those, in like the David Lynch movies. And I'm like, yeah, David Lynch is definitely a fan of this one. It'd be so interesting all, to find out. Yeah, I'll ask him next time I see him. Yeah. <laughs> next time we have him over for brunch, I'll, I'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'll just have it on casually in the background and see if he says anything. Yeah. Like, ah, dryer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did watch a movie in the theater from 1958, The Blob. Have you oh. seen the original The Blob? Every time I look in the mirror. <laughs> oh, well, you've always been honest. So um, The Blob is, was filmed in Pennsylvania in the 50s and there's a scene now i kind of wish it was a true story (laughs) there's a scene where this space blob is attacking the town and it slides into a movie theater and all the people run out of the movie theater that movie theater is still in existence it's the colonial in phoenixville pa and every year they have blob fest where they play the movie (laughs) they have like a street fair with like blob vendors and they have a giant blob outside and they play the movie a couple times. They reenact the scene where everyone runs out of the theater. So you can do that. That sounds really so, fun. Actually. Yeah, it was cool. So we, we went and we hung out at the street fair, saw some cool art and stuff. And then we went to watch the movie inside the actual theater it was filmed in, which was a great experience. So meta. We didn't do the run out. That was a different event. So we just sat and watched the whole movie without running out of the theater. But it was cool because you can, you know, you see the theater and then you, the blob comes in the back and you can look behind you and it still looks kind of the same as it did back then. Um, yeah, it was cool. I recommend Blobfest if anybody's interested in like that type of movie. The movie itself is like goofy and quintessential 50s sci-fi B-movie. And I love it for that. It's got like teenagers doing drag racing and working with the cops to stop this blob. The teenagers are like all 30 years old. <laughs> they, so it's this, like a precursor to Greece. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the cops are like, you know, uh, telling the kids, you got to stop drag racing. I, I don't want to have to bring you in. It's like this low stakes, small town stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's like two rival groups of kids and then they quickly become best friends and work together to stop the blob. It's, it's just like, so like low stakes stuff. It's very small town America. And it just, I don't know if it hits that vibe so well. Cool. Yeah. Let's see what else I saw. Um, Oh, I do want to talk about last night in Soho. Talked about that. last. Oh, you finally saw it. I did see it. I did see it. Did you, you didn't get to see it yet, I'm sure, right? I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay, so I won't do any spoilers, but Last Night in Soho is a new Edgar Wright movie. Well, new as in 2021. And it's the story of, I always thought it was going to be about um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, but it's not. It's uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's the star. And she plays a young girl going off to fashion school in London. She's like a small town girl. It's her first time in London. And her she's kind of an empath sort of person. Her mother committed suicide and she can sort of still see ghosts or feel things. And she's in London and it kind of comes a generic fish out of water story. 
of her after dealing with these, you know, modern kids and the dangers of modern London. But that she quickly uh, starts experiencing life through the eyes of someone who lived in like 60s London via some, you know, a strange phenomenon. And that's Anya Taylor-Joy's character. Right. Yeah. So I, w- I won't go into details to what happens, but it's a horror movie. And it's definitely Edgar Wright's ode to like a giallo type style, like an Italian slasher movie, Dario Argento sort of stuff. And he does a good job with those sequences, but the movie, the hook of the movie doesn't come for a while. And the fish out of water story, Thomas and Mackenzie's story is not that unique or interesting or done dynamically as some of his older movies so i found myself like feeling like it was dragging yeah when it finally got to the hook there were some really great sequences really dynamite sequences you know edgar wright could pull off really great Mm -hmm. mirror work things like that um but overall i wasn't hooked on the story and i felt it was overlong and i think edgar wright was a lot more mature in this movie you know like his older movies are full of energy and like all these crazy ideas and things. And I like that about him. This one, he tones it down a bit. He, you know, he takes his time. He's more mature, but I don't think it was, uh, I think it was a bit of a disservice to the movie, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't actually realize this was Edgar Wright. It's so different from uh, looking even just from the trailer, from everything Mm -hmm. else that I associate with him. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't, I mean, you can definitely see in some sequences his style, but overall, I wouldn't have guessed if I didn't know. I also didn't realize that there is a Soho in London because I always just assumed it was New York City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nope, this is London. <laughs> we just steal everything from everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, go America. Yay. <laughs> so yes, um, we have a whole lot of that coming up in the rest of this episode, I think. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right, well, I'll talk about one more movie before we get to the, the, the main part of the episode. The Sea Beast, an animated movie on Netflix just this year, 2022. The Sea Beast is directed by Chris Williams, and it is probably the highest quality animated film I've ever seen. The animation wow. is so good. Just the detail and the visual uh, flair and the imagination that goes into the action sequences and the uh and the movement of the characters and stuff like that really high quality stuff like this was a big budget movie that they took their time with it's a simple story of a sort of like this fantasy world where there are sea monsters and it's a pirate movie it's about a group of pirates who are hunting sea monsters and it's the young girl who stows stows away on their ship and uh changes the world uh, forever via some story stuff I won't go into, but <laughs> it's uh, so besides the animation and the grasp of like space and movement and physics that the, they use for these sequences, which is incredible. Um, what I really liked was it's like, it didn't feel like a kid's movie. It was definitely a action drama with some humor. Like there was no like, there's some jokes, of course, but it's not like a goofy kids animated movie with like talking animal characters and whatever. There's definitely some like stuff that would appeal to kids, but it was an adult pirate movie. 
which was cool to see, you know, just to yeah. see the attention to detail on like a movie, not pandering to kids because animation is so versatile. Uh, it was nice to see something new. It's, this is one of my big flaws as a movie viewer is that I just have no interest in animated movies. And I don't know why, because I'm one of the biggest proponents of animation as not being for kids. But then I see a trailer for an animated movie and my brain just shuts off. I'm like, I don't have any desire. And I don't know why Hmm. this sounds like a really cool movie. And I just don't have much desire to see it because you said it was animated. And that is definitely a flaw I recognize in myself. (laughs) Well, if you maybe you know, maybe you can bring yourself to watch the opening ten minutes, which is just like a, a sea battle between two ships and a sea monster, and it's just just really cool. I'm in. I have a tattoo uh, of a sea battle, so like yeah, that's true. You think if one thing applies to me, this would be it. All right, the sea beast. Maybe we'll get you to change your mind on animated maybe. movies. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anything else, Eric, or should we get to our main topic? I, I'm ready for the main topics. All right. So uh, just for anyone who doesn't know, the main point of this podcast is to discover new movies. So we randomly picked a movie we both uh, thought we would like and we watched it. And then we each watched a separate movie inspired by that. I don't know what that is for you. You don't know what that is for me. But let's start start with the random movie we picked, which was Big Game from 2014, directed by, by Jalmari Hellander. Starring Samuel L. Jackson and Oni Tamiya. Um, yeah, do you want to go into what this movie is about? Sure. Um, so, essentially, this is Samuel L. Jackson plays an unpopular president who is on his way to Helsinki. I don't remember what he's going there for, but he is on Air Force One when it is targeted and falls under missile lock and he has to evacuate Yep. and it's revealed very early on that the head of secret service is in on it and working for some kind of terrorist. The terrorist interaction I thought was great because they take like a hunting <laughs> charter out to the middle of a mountain and then target him with a rocket launcher immediately. Yeah. You're like, yeah, start running. <laughs> yeah. Jay, he's like, pick- uh, I don't know why you're not running because he's clearly talking to his subordinates about like shooting a plane out of the sky or whatever. Um, So that was incredibly entertaining kind of opening to me. Meanwhile, there's a Finnish child who seems like he's kind of pathetic. Um, (laughs) His dad doesn't even believe in him. His dad doesn't even believe in him. He's about to undergo his test of manhood uh, because it's going to be his 13th birthday. So the rules aren't really explained. If there are rules, it seems like he just has to go out overnight and hunt something and bring it back with this bow and arrow, which he fails to even pull back. Uh, So they're not even going to let him take the test, but his dad is like, no, he's going to go. And he sets off in this little ATV um, and stumbles across Samuel L. Jackson's escape pod, which I didn't know that they look like space capsules. Yeah, it does. Like kid thinks it's a UFO. They shove Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, the kid thinks it's a UFO, which brings me to one of the funny things in this movie is that I'm not sure who it's for, because (laughs) it's written like a children's movie. Okay. But it's like there's a lot of like machine guns and gun violence and just people getting shot in ways that don't feel like a child's movie. That's true. And I don't know, maybe it's like the Finnish influence. Um. But to me, watching this, I was like, this is like if you made Home Alone, 
like that tone of like this little kid, like kind of saving the president and the world in, in some way, you know, it's almost like home alone, but if they were serial killers instead of cat burglars, like bungling cat burglars, you're like, I don't, I don't get what, is this a kid's movie? Is it not a kid's movie? Yeah. It definitely was more serious than a kid's movie, but there were some like things like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he thinks Samuel L. Jackson's an alien for a little bit. Uh, he talks to him on like this little tin can phone with the strings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and up basically until that the point, rest. Go ahead. Uh, up until that point, I was on board. Like I, I, I the setup was cool. Uh, I love the setting. Really great, like landscape. Really beautiful. And, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, I got to visit Lapland and Finland now. <laughs> it was really beautiful forests and mountains and um and just the setup is good you know just now it's like all right yeah even after that i was a little kid i was still kind of on board it is questionable that this little kid is like well i have the president of the united states but i'm going to continue with my test of manhood i can't just take him to safety now i have Mm -hmm. to hunt or whatever so they have like this little campfire scene talking Mm -hmm. about uh the difference between being strong and just appearing strong and Mm -hmm. whatever which is kind of i guess the theme of the movie in this kind of dialogue um and yeah the rest of the movie is just them trying to evade samuel l jackson's uh the people who are hunting him as big game (laughs) yes yes yeah i see jackson was the big game um (laughs) Yeah, and I, I think the a movie like that lives or dies on two things: the uh, the interaction of the two main characters, and then like the action scenes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I I think the former was pretty good. Samuel Jackson and the kid had some cool rapport together, and they were definitely two completely different characters. So it's interesting seeing them interact with each other. Yeah. Some there were some really cool shots, but I didn't think the sequences were that great. Yeah, I the thought action was not the filmed shot, particularly well. Yeah, I thought the the shot where the Secret Service agent or Samuel Jackson's pushed out, and then all the Secret Service guys, uh, mm-hmm. you find out that the head of Secret Service is in on this whole plot. Um, I thought that was a really cool shot where he like dives backwards out of the jet, and then the five missiles are launched and like fly past him into the jet there was Mm -hmm. a cool shot where uh samuel jackson at one point tells the kid to run away and save himself and he's gonna fight the cap uh, pursuers Mm -hmm. um and he gets taken hostage and then this kid is like standing on top of a rocky mountain and the helicopter like kind of comes up behind him yeah that was a really cool shot. And then he like runs and jumps onto the Samuel L. Jackson is like locked inside a fridge. Yes. Uh, and that action sequence was absolutely ridiculous. It was. Where oh. The kid is like hanging onto this fridge. I just kept thinking of the Indiana Jones with fridging the yeah, uh, nu- nu- nuke, the fridge, nuke, the fridge. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a very similar incident here where the fridge ends up obviously getting cut from the helicopter and going in the rapids into the ocean. And oh, yeah. even Samuel yeah. Jackson was like, how did we live or something? Like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was a little over the top and the, the movie kind of lingers on these heroic shots uh, a little too much. It was kind of corny. Like, like you said, the kid on the mountain and there's a couple shots like that where you get to see like the, the good guys do their thing. And it was just too obvious. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I loved the one scene. There's one scene where the kid, I don't think it's that part. I think it's later in the movie mm-hmm. where the kid shoots an arrow at the Secret Service agent. Yes. And you're like, oh, my God, he finally pulls this bow back that he wasn't yeah. able to pull back a couple times in the movie. He finally does it. The arrow flies straight on target, which was like a good concept for a shot that was pulled off. You know, the budget, uh, I think I read the budget's 8.5 million euros uh, yeah. or dollars, That's which are very similar. Yeah. Well, but it is the most expensive movie made in Finland ever. So. <laughs> Kind but, of cool. the, but it can't compete with these like big budget Hollywood effects. Right. So. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this kid. And I think he said a one liner before he did it. He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what it was, yeah. but I laughed because it was cute. <laughs> uh, but then the arrow just like you're like, oh, it's going to go right into this guy's heart. They said something about his heart yep. earlier. Yep. And it just pings off because he's wearing a bulletproof vest. It was so funny. <laughs> and then he dies anyway because of the shrapnel that's trapped close to his heart like Tony Stark. Um, well, there were very enjoyable moments in this movie, but just overall kind of meh. Yeah, I agree. I think my biggest problem with the movie was that the, the climax is kind of takes place in the plane that had crashed into a lake and they're, they're underwater in this plane and it's going to blow up. And, you know, that's kind of the climactic scene, but it really felt like the beginning of the third act when a lot of us watching it. And then it was like, Oh wait, the movie's over. And I, I felt like it was just missing a whole climax, you know, or at least yeah. another act to kind of flesh it out more. I, I, I'm assuming that was supposed to be some like nuclear bomb that they put in the plane. I don't know. A very powerful bomb. A bomb I got a kick sort. out of their, their escape plan. The bomb is in a lake mm-hmm. and their escape plan is to take the pilot's seats and hit the ejector handle. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it shoots them like a mile into the air. And I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about jets. That seems to be insanely high, like higher yes. than the helicopter that the evil guys were like repelling into the plane from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before the bomb blows up. And it like, they're fine, but everyone in the helicopter dies and, nice. and it crashes. But it just like blows them to land perfectly, like by the place where the kid is supposed to go back. Yeah, yeah. And well, they had some sort of like propeller or something on it or jets. Yeah. It was definitely a, a you know, the Air Force One uh, ejector seats. It was very uh, advanced. Very advanced and high tech. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, that that was the climax. And then they uh, they come, go back to where everyone's waiting for them. The dad realizes how cool his son is for saving the president. And, you know, you get another dramatic hero pose. <laughs> where, yeah. It- <laughs> Go ahead. The, kid, the kid and the president are standing on this rocky ledge with like all the power of the U.S. military behind them. Yeah, there's like a, two dozen helicopters, it seems yeah. like, that are flying into this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cuts back. It's like a, a callback because then it zooms out and it's a, a that still frame in a frame in this like hunting lodge or whatever, where all of the pictures is like the, maybe the first scene in the movie yes. where they show all of these pictures of the different people, I guess, after their trials of manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, is my picture going to be up there? And his dad's like, it's up to you. <laughs> so it was like a nice callback at the end. Yeah. I just sweet. thought it was insane. Like that they slept overnight and it seemed like they could have just found the president very easily during that time, either, either way, like mm-hmm. the United States government or the people, like, you know what the trajectory his flight was on. Cause you know yeah. where he was going. So mm-hmm. why did it take anyone this long to find him? 
Yeah. Either yeah. the bad guys or the United States government. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then we didn't even talk about the whole subplot of the the government people trying to find him. Um, one of which is uh, what's his name, Jim Broadbent, and as like the old CIA analyst or whoever that they bring whatever in. Whatever he was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't really explain it, but he seems like he knows exactly what he's doing. But then it turns out that someone is on the inside trying to uh, assassinate the president. And it's him and the vice president that are behind it. Yeah, the vice president. Oh, God, what is I should have looked it up. That actor's name who just seems to be a shithead in every movie he's in. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, that that vice president. They actually did an OK job of like, I never suspected cute Jim Broadbent, who was the CIA analyst of being the evil guy until they kind of show the vice president see him sending a text. Yes. And that threw me off the vice president's trail because it seemed like that made him suspicious of him. Turned out they were in on it together. I didn't, I felt like I wanted to know why everyone hated Samuel L. Jackson so much because there's just something like there's a headline in a newspaper or something about him being unpopular, but there's no. Right. Yeah, this was like, a very he, apolitical movie. Like they didn't go yeah. into any politics or any motivations for any of the the government stuff. Right. Which I, I don't know. I think it, it kept it very two dimensional, <laughs> which. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't. I think you need that. You need to know yeah. why these people are doing this because Samuel L. Jackson seemed pretty cool. He's Samuel L. Jackson for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah. I know. I'd be happy if he was president. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd um, like him tomorrow. I There was one point where the terrorist guy who was hunting Samuel L. Jackson captures him and says that he's going to stuff him and add him to a trophy case. And I believe that. And I'm like, okay, that's a fun motivation that he's just a really yeah. is a big game hunter. But then it turns out that he wasn't, and he was really doing this for his own political reasons that they never really go into. Yeah, things change in this movie because yeah. it did seem like that was his plan. Yeah, but he was just telling that to Samuel Jackson, and then he, uh, yeah, the movie just kind of glosses over any sort of real thought and just gets yeah. to the core story of the kid doing his test of manhood. That's really, I think, what the movie's about. Agreed. And it, that, that was good, but yeah, not enough to carry the whole movie. Yeah. I think we're in pretty solid agreement on this. What would you give it? I gave it a two and a half out of five. Yeah, fair, fair. I would say same. Okay, cool. All right, well. Uh, what did this inspire you to watch? Okay, well, I wanted to watch more movies about people hunting people. So I was looking at some lists of people hunting people no don't get too excited i have already seen uh probably the ones you're thinking of surviving the game <laughs> surviving the game and hard target <laughs> ah! <laughs> so no, i've seen those this one was the hunted from 2003 uh tommy lee jones and benicio del toro have you seen wow this one? i don't remember you know what i do feel like i remember the trailer now that you say it but i don't think i ever saw it yeah, so it's a William Friedkin movie. I love William Friedkin. He did The French Connection, The Exorcist, and Sorcerer. He's like a really cool 70s director. Um, he had a really great run of movies back then. And this is 2003. So it's, you know, it's got that classic uh, 70s, like avant-garde sort of new Hollywood director mm -hmm. tackling a movie in his old age in the studio system. And it kind of feels that way. <laughs> so it's about... Um, Benicio Del Toro is an ex, like, super soldier guy, not a superhero, 
not Captain America, just some sort of Navy SEAL type guy who's really good at killing people. And he did a tour of duty. Um, and he has like severe PTSD or something. And he's hiding out in the forest up in like Oregon. And he kills two hunters brutally, like mutilates them and everything. And you get the impression that's because he thought they were hunting him. So he brutally kills these guys. And Tommy Lee Jones is brought in to help find him, hunt him down. So you got Tommy Lee Jones trying to capture Benicio Del Toro. turns out Tommy Lee Jones is a tracker who worked for the military, who taught Benicio Del Toro all these tricks. So you got this cool setup of teacher, the old teacher hunting student in his prime. Tommy Lee Jones is great. Benicio Del Toro is good, but I don't think his character was as interesting to watch as Tommy Lee Jones, who really um, made himself, portrayed the character as like a, a real fish out of water in the sense that he lives he lives like on the outskirts in the wilderness like in a cabin and then now he has to like be in the offices and the cia and everything and he's like always like almost like doesn't know where to put his hands yeah he doesn't know where to put his hands he doesn't know how to interact with people it's just interesting to watch his take on that but uh the movie's not really about that but he's very quickly they capture benicio del toro (laughs) tommy lee jones Get finds them and they get into a, a fight and they capture him and then they're trying to figure out what to do with him. But then the big military people come in and say, nope, this guy, you know, we have to take this guy. He knows too much. You know, he's one of those. Um, and I won't spoil too much, but he Del Toro escapes. And then the core of the movie is Tommy Lee Jones hunting Del Toro again. But this time in it's for keeps the city and the towns and things from where the, the van crashed that he was being transported in. And it sets up this dynamic where Tommy Lee Jones regrets that he spent his career teaching people how to kill. And Benicio del Toro is like the one dimensional archetype of what this does to a person. It turns them into a killing machine and that's all they are. And it's almost like philosophical in that, Tommy Lee Jones wants to do this himself to maybe kind of end what he caused. That was my take on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that Friedkin gets that across in their fights. Cause when they do fight, it is brutal and it is long and all they're doing is like cutting each other and stabbing each other and punching each other. And it's just like, they're intense, like five minute fight scenes that these guys have. And it's relentless and it feels relentless when you're watching it. It feels almost like a stripped down action movie. Like it's only about the chase between these two guys. Once they set up the characters and once they have some flashbacks about how, how they were interacting, it's about the chase and the battle. So I end up liking it, but it does have these early 2000 vibes. Like, um, your color timing was like just invented, you know? Like digital <laughs> color timing. Cause uh, the first movie that had color timing was, um, Oh brother, where art thou? Which I think was like right before this, like early two thousands. Yeah. So this has like, I think people, it, had, it has that look like they weren't quite sure which, how to handle color timings, but they, they Here's messed with toy. it. How do we use it? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. And it's got these like early two thousands flashbacks, which uh, like you could tell it's like straight from like, I don't know, 
CSI or something like it feels mm-hmm. like TV. And it's got some weird like camera moves and digital wipes and things that I guess were in vogue at the time. So it kind of feels dated, but it does have a, a weird philosophical, it's like a weird philosophical action movie, which I liked, but it's not top tier by any means. It's, yeah. I gave it three stars. It, it's so funny when you watch a movie and you can tell outside of like the styles of the time, if it's a contemporary supposed to be set in a contemporary that you can kind of tell when something came out, if a yeah. filmmaker like doesn't stay true to their own style, but tries to stay with the trends of like, Oh, it's a fight scene. Now I have to have shaky cam, which was a thing for a long time and kind of yes. still is sometimes, which I despise. Yeah. Or like you said, like some of those wipes or some of the, the like the film stock or the color timing and things like that it's always amazing to me that people will um not just say see something that they like and try to make it their own but just to try to like fit in especially a director like him who's already established it's always weird to me when that happens yeah and i don't know how much is done like in the editing room like you know by the you know once the director's done and has yeah uh, maybe producers are like you need to do this thing yeah who knows but uh, yeah, it's worth the time if it's uh, if you're a freaking completist like I am. <laughs> they're, they're, he probably made worse movies than this. Well, it's a small but exclusive club here. You just made yourself a member of. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, how about you? What did you watch? So I went the other way. I wanted to see more of presidents on planes. Oh, oh, um, okay. And I was guided there. Like I said, I'm keeping with it. The Amazon Prime suggestions other people watched. Yep. Air Force One, which I somehow never saw. 1997, Wolfgang Peterson. Um, Harrison Ford is the president of the United States of America, who I first of all think was right there with Bill Pullman as my favorite fictional presidents. Uh, Bill Pullman from Independence Day. 1A, 1B. I don't know that I could pick which one I like more, Mm -hmm. um, just based on this movie. But this is about... uh, Harrison Ford. It opens with shots of Russian and United States special forces working in tandem, which how crazy is that to think about these days? Those oh, wow. uh, us cooperating with Russia to invade Kazakhstan and take their totalitarian uh, leader hostage. Um, or I guess not even take him hostage, but to bring him to, you know, a Russian gulag, it seems like. And so in retaliation, well, I guess Harrison Ford makes a, an unplanned speech to celebrate this occasion in Russia um, about how the U S is going to be the world police and setting a zero tolerance policy for terrorism and setting up the United States as an interventionist nation, which nobody is happy about and i was like yeah of course not that's insane man (laughs) so on his flight i'm assuming back to america terrorists take control of air force one to get russia to release radic is the name of the deposed dictator of kazakhstan awesome name Um, yep and during the chaos of their takeover of the plane it's revealed that the head of the uh, secret service is in on this uh harrison ford is evacuated but it turns out that he is secretly on the plane they just spit that you know little escape pod thing out and here's what i want to talk about really briefly now that apparently didn't exist but it was also when i saw it in 
big game. I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't realize they had those. Well, they mm-hmm. don't. So now I'm wondering, uh, Wolfgang Peterson predicted that the parachute things, mm-hmm. which are featured in this movie, like a parachute ramp, and right. this escape pod would soon be features of Air Force One. Do you think the people who made Big Game saw that and assumed they were real or just modeled it off of Air Force One? Or do you think Wolfgang Peterson was right and these have since been implemented? Uh, That's a really interesting question to me because at the time they were fictional, but both movies featured this basically identical scene with the difference being that Harrison Ford secretly did not get in the pod. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's a thought, a very interesting thought. Um, I mean, they probably wouldn't tell us what the features of Air Force One are at present, so who knows? Yes, I would guess not. Uh, um, I, I just thought that was amazing. And then this movie basically turns into a couple episodes ago, I watched Under Siege with Steven Seagal on a boat. Yep. Well, this becomes Harrison Ford Under Siege on a plane. Okay, And cool. it is a really fun movie for the most part. Okay. Um, Gary Oldman plays the head Kazakhstani, Kazakhstanish. <laughs> oh wow! Terrorist, and well, he's he just phenomenal. Harrison Ford has come out and said that he remains to this day his favorite on-screen nemesis, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, okay. um, there's a lot of recognizable faces, a lot of character actors in this movie that I think everyone would recognize. Um, even if you don't know their names, you're like, oh, I've seen that guy in a bunch of other things. It was a joy to watch for most of this movie. There's not a whole lot to say about it. It's like the classic, you know, Oh, we're going to shoot hostages and these things start happening. They're trying to release, uh, you know, organize the release of their, their leader. Um, But then it has what I refer to as the return of the King problem where some movies just don't want to end. It has multiple, multiple endings. Um, I mean, I guess spoilers for a 25-year-old movie, mm-hmm. but Harrison Ford kills Gary Oldman's character, and he has the coolest lot. Well, not not a cool line, but it's like he just says, get off my plane, and he punches him out of the plane while he's like choking on a parachute kind of thing. Like he sets it up to, so <laughs> right, he's strangling right. him with a parachute. I can picture Harrison Ford saying that. Yep. And it's like, okay, cool, movie's over. No, it's not, because now there's MIGs in the sky. So uh, yeah. these MIG, there's like six MIGs, and then the U.S. Air Force has to save the plane from the MIGs. The MIG pilot should be embarrassed because six MIGs cannot, uh, for a while, they're just attacking this plane mm-hmm. with no defenses. And it's like, oh, you gosh. can't shoot down basically like a, a glorified 747. Like, Yeah, that's just a passenger plane. <laughs> are these child pilots? Like, who who's flying these planes? Right? Um, Not Tom Cruise. So there, there are two endings already, but then they can't land the plane. So they have to zip tie. This is my favorite part. They basically create a zip line between one plane and Air Force One where they're trying to like zip line passengers from one plane to the other one. Uh, because for reasons I can't understand, they say this plane is unlandable. And right, I'm like, right. but it still has landing gear and stuff. Right. There's probably still like, water somewhere. There's, there's a couple it. bullet holes and stuff in it. It seems like it's flying okay. Um, uh, yeah, really fun. Just should have ended a bunch of times before it did. But I, I would still recommend it. It was entertaining. I'd give it a solid three, three and a half. Oh, cool. Yeah, that that's uh, seems like a movie I would really enjoy. Like, does it have that feeling of like the night, the big budget '90s movies where they like did all the act, the practical effects and they 
put the money into it. It's like a movie for adults, you know? Um, yes, but it's definitely dated. There is a lot of green or at that time, probably blue screen work. Cause okay, it used to okay. be a blue screen and not like that lime green screen. Yeah. That is not very well done. Okay, there, there yeah. is a, a scene where they trick the terrorists into lowering the plane. They don't realize that Harrison Ford has freed all of the hostages from the one room. So they, they need to refuel the plane because earlier on Harrison Ford had uh, gotten the plane to dump its fuel to try to get them to land so they could, mm-hmm. you know, save everybody. Um, and then they convince the vice president to send a refuel plane, but they tell them to like put it below a certain altitude at a certain speed so they can parachute away. Mm-hmm. And all of the people parachuting out of the plane, like it looks like something I could probably do in my backyard. <laughs> okay. Like that's kind of the quality, which maybe at the time wasn't so bad, but now mm-hmm. visual effects have progressed to the point where if they're done well, it's impossible to see sometimes things that aren't real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was definitely like, oh, that's that's a green screen. This does not look right. Um, there's another scene where a similar thing. I think something flies past Air Force One and you're like, those are clearly not. The shots just don't line up or whatever. So they green screened uh, it in and you're just yeah. like, this looks wrong. Sliding two um, pieces of paper back in there. <laughs> like yeah, side by yeah. Side. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. So it it is, it's hard for me to say because I don't know if it's fair for me to say at this point, it looks bad now. Did it look bad in 1997? Yeah, probably, probably not notice. as bad. I, I still don't think it was like A+, plus, but it is a Harrison Ford movie that cost like, I think $100 million to make 80-something million and it grossed 320-something in... 1997 so that's that's a huge budget for those days so yeah 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 wolfgang peterson has had interesting uh career um i've liked most of the movies i've seen by him so i guess he's kind of knows what he's doing at least yeah i mean this is very much in line with all of the other ones i associate with him mm-hmm. um i haven't seen all of them but it's definitely that big budget actiony mm-hmm. uh, quasi disaster ish movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh president taking taken hostage he did outbreak um didn't he do the perfect storm i think yeah, or whatever that's called in the line of Troy. fire Eastwood. i never saw poseidon um, and he did my favorite movie of all time that i will never watch never ending story and, oh i thought you were gonna say enemy mine <laughs> Which is another one from my childhood that I loved. And yeah, I, I'm kind of averse to I'm watching it I'm very hesitant to watch it. Lewis Gossett Jr. as an alien. Yep. Um, that's pretty much all I remember about it. There was a mine. Yeah, he gives birth. He gives <laughs> birth, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, that was a... Seems like we both watched some decent movies this time. Yeah, you should have watched Hard Target again, because... <laughs> I mean, you know, John Woo and Van Damme, can't go wrong. I still... I forgot John Woo did that movie, but his mullet is the real star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got its own credit. <laughs> the scene where he punches the snake and it passes out. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in that movie. It's underrated, for sure. <laughs> All right, so let's pick a movie for next time. And Eric, I did something cool this time. I went through our list and I put it in order 
from lowest letterbox ranking to highest letterbox ranking. Ooh. So if you roll a D20, we'll know theoretically how good the movie is going to be based on your roll. <laughs> oh boy. All right. I am going to open the spreadsheet for myself. If you can bear with me for a second, cause I never remember to do that. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Wow, the Requiem a one point one. Yep, I didn't roll that yet, but I'm I'm. Oof, some of these are real bad. All right, I rolled a fourteen. What is that? 14 Electric is... Jesus. Yep. I don't three point one. That was one of yours. That that you is one of mine. Is like... this the first one of mine that I put on there? Uh, yeah, I think so. We finally got one of yours. Ah, a star is born again, like Jesus. <laughs> Alabama preacher's daughter runs off with a touring Shen hair metal band during the summer of 1986. Wow. And it's got, oh my God, it's got the guy from The Office. Yep. Ryan Baumgartner. <laughs> and Judd Nelson. Judd I Nelson. Have no idea what this movie is. Um, we own it at the library, and I, I saw it, and I was like, I need to watch this. I don't know what this is about. Well, it is uh, available on Tubi, so I will watch it with you. It's going to be very exciting for me to watch a, a movie I know nothing about. So this is cool. So here is on Letterboxd. I'm just going to read a little bit of this first review. Not going to lie, at least one of the songs from this Christian 80s hair metal version of Almost Famous got stuck in my head. Commandos for Christ, let's all go commando. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so seems like it's going to be great. Yeah, I sure hope so. All right. Well, I guess unlike Air Force One, we, we, we know how to end our podcast. So let's, uh, let's get out of here while the going is good. Uh, thank you, Eric, for joining once again. Thanks for the chat. As always, my name is Patrick, and you can find me on Letterboxd as... Long Monkey. <laughs> yep, Long Monkey. And you should check out my other projects at proleary.com. Eric, do you have anything to plug? Uh, I'm Eric, and you can find me probably yelling at things on the internet, but I won't tell you where. <laughs> All right, well, with that, we're out. Have a good night and sweet dreams. Bye.